I would have gotten away with it if it weren't for you meddling kids. TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson's Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. TGIF indeed. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together we are Mance and Mitchell in your ears for the hour. We're delighted because we have a returning guest who is always a delight to converse with on all matters metaphysical, particularly the paranormal and even more particularly ghost research. But before all of that, let's say hello to bad boy Benny Mathers at the board. Benny, how are you today, sir? Doing awesome. We have had a week, haven't we? Man. Oh, oh we have. Yes. Big hard to exhale. put into words. I know. It's exactly, I mean, even though you said it, yes, absolutely. Big hearts all around, you know, even to George Floyd and the whole entire family. This is a message that is, you know, it won't go away. You know, it's something that we definitely need to get uh, a wrangle on. You know, let's let's do something about it. Well, now that we're on that subject, Benny, uh, you've introduced it. And so let me get your your pers pers what am I looking for? I think perspective is yeah, the word briefly. that I'm struggling to get sure. out of my larynx. All good. But anyway, <laughs> the idea that in Seattle, as in several other places, but it seems like it happened in Seattle first, maybe Minneapolis beat you to it. I don't know. But what I can say is that from the violence, from the disruption mm -hmm. of the first couple of days of the protests, what I found was Seattle getting its act together very well, such that the past couple of days, there seems to be a gathering place where people are there, and if they're speaking at all, it's in a murmur, and a mm -hmm. lot of people silent as they bear witness, but I'm not seeing the clubs flying and people rushing hither and yon and police cars being driven into the crowd. Yeah, there were moments of that, not as that extreme. There were some, you know, I guess looting, some minor looting situations, but it was for the most part peaceful, I guess. But I mean, you're going to have the little, uh, you know, some of the little pockets of kind of like, I don't know, more hostile situational, you know, uptake. But for the most part, we did okay. That's kind of what we need to do. You know, we just want to get the message heard and voiced appropriately without too much damage, you know. I do like the uh, nonviolent protests, and I'm I'm sorry that there are some that decide this is a good time to loot because I think it kind of diffuses the message, and the message is coming out very strongly all over the country and all over the world that it's time for us to look at our criminal justice system, mm -hmm. and uh, and I hope that that conversation continues and that there is some legislation about that to make it a little bit more fair than it has been. I can say there were a, a, a minor couple of protests here in Sarasota, Florida, and um, because of the makeup of our city, there were more white people than brown people, which gave me a little bit of a giggle, mm -hmm. but I was also happy to see such a mix of people out right. on the street too. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very good. Today, we are going to visit once again with the lovely Nicole Strickland. She is a cornucopia of conversation regarding all things paranormal. She also is renowned as a ghost researcher. And I think more than uh, apart from the, the wonderful appeal of the way she delivers her information, she's getting to be a star in that movement. But uh, it's also a matter of 
her commitment to ethics of doing things the right way, which are controversial by nature to begin with, but she insists on doing pristine research and she portrays it very beautifully. And I think she's gonna get bigger and bigger in that business as time goes on. That's my prediction. I'm no Swami. I'm the guy who's gonna be along with Suzanne talking to her right now after her mad props. Suzanne. Nicole Strickland currently resides in San Diego, California, has been intrigued with the paranormal since childhood and has studied the field for many years. She's been actively investigating historical landmarks and private residences for paranormal activity since the early 2000s after a profound experience with the spirit of her beloved grandmother. In 2009, she founded and served as director of the San Diego Paranormal Research Society and serves as the team's EVP specialist and historical locations case manager. She was also a core member of the Ghost Research Society, holding the GRS Southern California Area Research Director position from 2009 to 2017. She serves as a consultant to World Paranormal Investigations, as well as California a California representative for the American Spectral Society. She is also representative to various Pacific North Pacific Northwest paranormal research teams. And so once again, we are delighted to have with us Nicole Strickland. Welcome once again to Manson Mitchell, Nicole. Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's always such a pleasure. I always get a huge smile across my face when you ask me to come back on. So thank you so much. Nicole, let's start with a soft entry. I like to do that every time we have somebody <laughs> on for an interview. Let's yeah. just ease on into it, putting on a comfortable yeah. pair of slippers. And that would there be, you go. you're a, uh, your star burns more brightly every year as you work the conference circuit. And that is certainly as true in Oregon as anywhere else, the Oregon Ghost Conference. My understanding is that because of COVID-19 and the strict regulations of Oregon, which means that they have a lot fewer cases than other states. What happened with the Oregon Ghost Conference, and are you folks staying in touch with each other in regards to your shared purpose? Oh, absolutely. So, yes, because of COVID-19, so this year's uh, 2020 conference, is, obviously we couldn't, they couldn't hold it. And so I, I'm assuming if everything goes okay, things will be on for next year. And so the Oregon Ghost Conference, you know, I've been going there, I believe, since 2015, I think, was my first appearance there. And it's so interesting because I kept, when I was looking for conferences up in the Northwest area, in the Pacific Northwest area, I kept seeing Rocky Smith and Oregon Ghost Conference. It kept coming to me. It kept appearing to me on online. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go with this and email Rocky Smith. Rocky Smith is also a, uh, he's a teacher by trade, but he's very involved in the paranormal and in history. He's a historian as well. And so he founded the conference. He serves as president of it. And so it is uh, one of the best, in my opinion, paranormal venues there is in the United States. And so it's, I believe it's the largest one up in the Pacific Northwest. So I emailed him back in 2015 and I said, you know, if you're ever, looking to have someone down from San Diego come up and do a presentation, I'd love to come and visit. And he wrote me back and he's like, oh my gosh, I've been trying to find someone to talk about the Queen Mary. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And so that's how that all happened. And I remember going my first time up there 
And it was just, I felt like I knew these people, you know, forever. I mean, there's so many good researchers up there. And uh, obviously, there's many different teams, but so many people up there that are so devoted, not just to ghost research, but other branches of the paranormal. And then a lot of really good uh, metaphysical practitioners as well. So I'm, I'm really honored to, to know these people and to work with them. Nicole, I feel like you own the West Coast of the United States because <laughs> the whole coast. No, been, no, 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 no. <laughs> you've gone from uh, San Diego to Oregon, which is which is pretty much you know that that whole region, including California. Do you ever travel very much to the east, or do you find that you have plenty of work uh, on that coast? I I think a lot of the I stay mostly on the west coast there's a lot to keep me busy just in the city of san diego alone of course california and then of course the pacific northwest when i travel up to the oregon ghost conference there's another conference up there too that i've spoken at very very good conference uh hosted by pete orbea he's another really well-known researcher up in the uh, pacific northwest and that's the port gamble ghost conference so really good things happening up there but you know i've i mean i've traveled to the east coast for vacation purposes, uh, Savannah, Georgia, you know, Washington, D.C., New York City is among my, one of my favorite cities in the world. But in terms of paranormal, I haven't, the farthest I've gone out to uh, actually do investigating would be uh, the Chicago area. And so um, Chicago, uh, Waverly Hills Sanatorium in Kentucky, that sort of thing. But I haven't, I mean, there's a lot of places on the East Coast that I do want to visit, but I just, I'm so busy on the West Coast. It's hard to find time to, with everything that I do to, to make travel time to go and, you know, discover all these new places. So, I could tell you, Nicole, that and we would have a place for you to stay as well. But if you ever want to oh. come down to Florida, the ghosts of old Florida, that would be like yes. Plantation Florida ghosts. There would talk about being kept busy. The entire state Absolutely. of Florida is not a small state there would give you many, many opportunities that would make for a great presentation and would be a book or two in the making Absolutely. right there. Absolutely. I'm actually trying to spread my wings and not only just travel to other states for you know paranormal purposes, but also maybe to go abroad, too. So I am trying to expand my wings, and eventually in the next couple of years that will happen. But, yeah, Florida is definitely a hotbed of activity, a lot of known places out there for sure. Well, in the meantime, I'm still going to consider that you own the West Coast and you can go wide or you can go deep and you seem to do, um, your interest may be to go wider, but I also think of you as deep, Gary was saying before you came on, that you have you know, your uh, standards and ethics when you're dealing in ghost research and that's something we've talked about before. But something we haven't talked about before and, and we wanted to ask you about today was over a period of decades, uh, now you've been doing this a while, do you find that there are trends in ghost research where how people go about it maybe changes over time? I, I do, yes. And I, I think that, uh, you know, I'm going to talk about TV here and I don't want to you know, go on air and necessarily, necessarily criticize a lot of the paranormal TV series that are on air right now. But I think because of that, that was one of the main, I guess, um, 
the main impetus for, for various people across the world and the United States for, for developing their own paranormal teams. So it started a lot with, with television. Now, I mean, you know, people being interested in ghosts and hauntings and the paranormal dates back really to the dawning of man. I mean, various cultures have their own beliefs in the afterlife. And, of course, they, with the spiritualist movement and all that, I mean, it's always kind of been a, a very popular subject to talk about. But I would say back in the early 2000s when some of the TV shows started coming out, that's when I started seeing a lot of the individual paranormal slash ghost hunter groups. I hate to say that word, ghost hunter, I cringe at it, but ghost hunter groups popping up, and there's more and more and more. But I think as the field has progressed, I am starting to see uh, people. I'm actually kind of seeing, I don't necessarily want to say it's a divide, but I'm seeing, I guess, I guess two different types of groups of people. I see the ghost hunter type mentality, and then I see the paranormal research mentality. And so I'm, I'm seeing that, and they're kind of branching off in their own directions. I think more and more people are realizing that you can't really learn everything by watching a television show, and there's a lot of negatives with those shows, as there are positives. But I think people are realizing that there needs to be more of a, a protocol, there needs to be more... Uh, definitive standard operating procedures when doing this sort of work. And, I mean, besides that, all the technicalities aside, there's the respect and reverence factor, and that's, that's where I really am vocal. I really am extremely vocal when it comes to that. So for me, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of going all over the place here, but I think for me personally, I'm seeing more of after doing the investigation, you go and do your investigation, and sometimes that may take several months. Okay, what now? Do we just leave it at that? For me, it's more or less trying to go a step further and develop that rapport uh, with the spiritual energies that I come across, seeing, you know, learning more about their stories, seeing if, if maybe they need help. If they do, how can we go about it and vice versa? So building that rapport. So I'm seeing that. But I think, too, I mean, there's so many different trends. I, I think that... Uh, you know, and again, it depends on what branch, too. I, I specialize more in the ghosts and hauntings arena, but, you know, you have the ufology, you have the cryptids, you have the cryptozoology, all of that. But I think that uh, it, the way in which people are or um, conducting their investigation may be changing. Of course, there's numerous electronic gadgets that are now on the market. I could do a whole show on that, but, I mean, uh, you know, there's, I'm going to say this, there's a lot of crappy gadgets on the market, and just there's no such thing as a ghost detector. I mean, people, uh, see, uh, if you get an EMF meter, that's designed to yeah. measure EMF, but if you call it a ghost detector, I'm going to, I'm going to say something to you, because there are, no such, there are no such things as ghost detectors, but I think that there's an, an, an abuse almost of some of this equipment that isn't even valid, I think, for paranormal research, so, so there's that, but I think that... Um, you know, I think more and more people are starting to realize that we need to change the way we think about paranormal research. It's not just going out and walking around a cemetery at night with a camera, asking two questions and calling that an investigation. There's so much that goes into an investigation besides the investigation itself. You have, you're working with the client, you know, you're, you're doing all kinds of supplemental research that needs to be done the investigation aspect, if you're just going to, for example, have an EMS meter 
and lay it on a table and you get some spikes during the investigation, what does that tell me? That tells me nothing. So really uh, examining this environmental monitoring with data logging, so comparing the temperature and the EMF and the radiation and things like that, even the infrasound, if you have tools to measure that, looking at how that plays a, a factor in the entire investigation. So very using a lot of analytical skills. People cringe at, some people, I should say, cringe when the word science or scientific is used in the paranormal. I think that there's ways to adapt the scientific method. I mean, it's used in all branches of science. Why can't it be used in paranormal research? So if we really, really think hard and, and really uh, change the way that we approach our investigations, I think we can almost become a valid scientific field. I just totally rambled for like five minutes. So I'm so sorry. But take, take a breath, Nicole. Listen, yeah. Take a breath. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm like, I'm just like kind of all over the place there. I'm like, oh my that's gosh, cool. what the heck was that's I just cool. saying? On this show, that's fine. I'm quite the rambler myself. But you just, <laughs> a, a few moments ago, you touched on something that was oh, a subject of conversation between Suzanne and myself just the other day. And I said, we need to ask Nicole about this. So here's the, the hard hitting question of the hour for Nicole Strickland, who keeps it real. In your opinion, Nicole, ghost boxes, boon or bunk, which is it? Oh, my gosh. Okay. I am one person among money in this field. Here's my, here's my personal, I guess, approach to your question. Yes, I use them, but I use them sparingly. I don't use them by themselves. I don't pay 100% attention to what words or phrases may emanate through the box, I basically, it's a grain of salt to me. So I use it. I use different varieties, uh, mainly to the PSB7, and then we have an old um, hacked uh, Radio Shack model, the Sanjian model that we use. So I compare the results of what comes through that with the entire investigation. So I compare it with other methodologies photography, uh, uh, responsible electronic voice phenomena sessions, various vigils that we do, um, environmental monitoring, the history of the place, that sort of thing. So I compare it with that. Now, if we do get some interesting words or phrases that come through, this is what I look for in, in order for me to, I guess, write those down in a case report and, and really count those as being somewhat important. They have to have they have to be extremely profound. So the words or phrases that come through have to be profound. So they have to be readily heard by by everyone there pretty much, not to where you're straining to hear what's being said. And then after hearing, you know, listening to it ten or fifteen or twenty times, you're gonna start to matrix the audio and your brain's gonna start to make sense of, of word jumble. No, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a word or phrase that comes through that's so crisp and clear that it's, it's really heard by everyone. Is it, is it relevant to what we're doing? So if we're asking questions about the history of a place or if we're addressing a specific spirit and there's a word or phrase that comes through that seems to uh, have something to do with that, then yes, we'll pay attention to it. So those are, those are, I guess, are my criteria. Um, and you know it's the ghost boxes. I and they're, I don't know. They're debatable, and I, 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 it's, I almost have a love and hate relationship with them. So I think if you 
use them responsibly and don't just rely on that and, and not pay attention to everything else and you use it amongst all your other methodologies, I think it can be a useful tool, but it's how it's used. That's the thing. It's how it's used, in my opinion. So what are your also, opinions? What, what do you guys feel about it? Well, I, I want to... Um... I'll set that aside for a second. I want to circle back to something that you said earlier because you brought a question up into my mind when I was uh, asking you about um, trends. I, I think the separation that you were making that I could hear is the um, the paranormal research that is is scientifically based and then maybe what is more in line for entertainment. And, and we've talked about that before, where right. you know if, if there isn't a ghost found within a 60 second show, they're gonna make it happen. Um, because course. it's entertaining and people wanna know that yes, there is a ghost there. But That's one right. of the things that you said was that when you are doing your, your ghost research, uh, um, paranormal research, you are wanting to know how you can help. And that kind of put me in mind of um, the ghost whisperer w who was mm -hmm. helping people cross over. When right. you're doing your ghost research, have you had cases where spirits from the other side, you've actually been able to do something for on this side for them? Yeah, we have had a couple of cases like that, and I, I don't, you know, want to class them. I, you know, I, I, here's where, I mean, yes, we have, but I, I, my mind's kind of going faster than my mouth right now. Can you tell? Sorry about that. But, yeah, we have had a couple of cases, and there are people that specialize in uh, that sort of arena where they do try to help energies cross over, you know, and, and again, it depends on that particular energy. If it's like a residual type of phenomenon, that's, there's no intelligence to that. That's just kind of like right. a psychic imprint playing over and over, like a phantom right. cannon going off. But we can't necessarily interfere with that. But in regards to a, an intelligent, uh, you know, feeling sort of entity, it, it all depends on that that uh, energy, that type of energy and what um, it wants. I mean, if it desires to cross over and is trying to, to seek out help for that, I think, those types will be more receptive to us helping. So, and that and we have had a couple of cases now. It's hard to necessarily uh, prove, you know, again by by scientific standards, if that particular energy that we were working with, if if he or she, I'm going to say, is now in the afterlife, now evolved spirit. It's hard to measure that, but we did have one uh, specific uh, instance, and it was at a historic location here in San Diego. It was a historic ship. That's all I'm going to mention. And so we were talking with this one male energy, and this was many years ago, so I'm going based off, off memory here. Of course, I have the case report somewhere. But uh, we were talking to him, and then in the course of the 15 or 20 minutes that we were conversing with him, it was decided to maybe uh, offer him the option of, of moving on if, if he choose. And so he, it sounds based on what he was saying to us and based on how we're feeling, how we were feeling that that's what happened. And so uh, I remember, I, it, I think it was myself saying this. I was saying, you know, there's, there's a better place for you. Um, if, if you can see, you know, a white light, if you see that, that 
all-encompassing loving light if it's there for you you can go into it you know once you go into it you're going to know eternal love and peace you're not going to be uh restrained by any of the issues you had of you know during life that sort of thing family and friends will be there to greet you yada 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 and then after we did that there was just a very strong sense of of utter peace amongst all of us researchers there it was hard to put into words and so this was an EVP, so it wasn't something that we heard live, but we did feel that peace. And then a few days later, when I went and reviewed the audio after what I just said, there was a male entity that came through, very classy, very crisp, very clear, that said, thank you. And it was just that vocalization almost correlated to the feelings that we were feeling after that. So, you know, like I said, it's, it's hard to measure when that happens, but if you it's not like almost our bodies and our senses will know if it happens, regardless of what any black and white terms tell us, you know what I mean? So it's, when that happens, it's, it's very emotional. It's very, it's, it's peaceful, but it's very emotional as well. And so I, I would think it would be very gratifying. Yes, I would think so. Yeah, too. Absolutely. Be, absolutely. Because you, you are talking about, um, you know, actually helping somebody in another dimension in another realm right. in in another right. um you know a, a spirit place and um mm-hmm. and and so that that is must be very gratifying to be able to say or do something that would allow that peaceful feeling to settle over everybody so that's Absolutely. that is really quite fascinating quite fascinating i think there needs to be more of that too because in the field of paranormal research we're i mean in, in terms of of uh, well, other energies as well, but in terms of ghosts and spirits, we're dealing with the energy of once living individuals. And so it's right. like, for me, I want to go this step further beyond just the investigation. Okay, how can I continue to build this rapport with this, 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 this entity that was once in a physical body like myself? You know, and I think once we do that and step over that, that um, or step into the next step, if you will, I think that we're going to see a lot more in terms of the living and the in the spirit realm connecting to one another. Fascinating. Got ghosts. Nicole Strickland is with us. We're always delighted to talk with Nicole. We're going to get back to the ghost boxes too, because I wanted to mention a story that I read about, and it it just makes me wonder. I mean, I can be skeptical. I think it's important to be skeptical about these things, particularly when you're talking about an apparatus, but it's good to keep an open mind too. So we will circle back to that topic. And there's so much more, including a special place on the West Coast with which Nicole Strickland would be very familiar. And I would like to get her take on that. And no, it's not the Queen Mary. It's another place. You can stay there. Maybe you can stay at the Queen Mary too, but I'm talking about a very famous and very haunted hotel. All that and more on the other side of a short break. We are Manson Mitchell, and you are tuned in, ghost box or not, to Seattle's home of Alternative Talk, AM 1150. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to mansonmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. 
Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Nicole Strickland to talk about the latest trends in ghost research and some of her case studies. On Saturday, Christopher Hill, who chronicled the hippie movement in his book, Into the Mystic, compares the 1960s to today's protests. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Get your daily dose of variety. Alternative Talk, 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, Nicole Strickland. We're talking to some ghosties this hour, and we're talking with one of our favorite people, Nicole Strickland. Nicole, you we have a small uh, uh, space on our library shelf of Nicole Strickland books, which we haven't even talked about much uh, during this first half of the show, but I want you to talk a little bit about your books, about your website, and how people can interact with you and find out more about you. Sounds good. So I've written a few books. I've written three, of course, on my love, which is the RMS Queen Mary. So so the first one that I wrote was, I the, or is the, excuse me, The Haunted Queen of the Seas, The Living Legend of the RMS Queen Mary. And so that one blends the history. It's kind of an overview of the ship's history and an overview of the ship's paranormal activity, if you will. And then moving on to the second one, that spirited Queen Mary, her haunted legend, that's kind of a sister book to the first one, and it delves more into the ship's spiritual phenomena, a little bit more about my experiences on board spanning like 15 plus years, and a little bit more about some of her resident spirits. And then, of course, the third one is totally uh, non-paranormal, so it's purely historical. That's RMS Queen Mary, Voices from Her Voyages. And that took about two years to write and complete because I interviewed former crew. I interviewed former passengers, uh, World War II veterans, as well as uh, war brides who sailed on the Queen Mary. So the book talks about a lot of their sailing experiences and memories. So it was really great, really fun to write. I think today that's probably my favorite book that I've written. So all three of those are sold online, uh, you know, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and online, and then also available on the ship as well in Long Beach and her gift stores. The very first book I wrote, oh, my gosh, when was this, 2009? It was a Field Guide to Southern California Hauntings. So I talk a little bit about various uh, haunted locations throughout California. My book that I think I published this in 2017, San Diego's Most Haunted, uh, The Historical Legacy and Paranormal Marvels of America's Finest City, that kind of replaced the Field Guide book 
because a lot of the places in the field guide were of San Diego, but San Diego's most most haunted delves into much of the uh, haunted locations, historical icons of San Diego, getting into their history, and of course, uh, the paranormal phenomenon behind those locations. And I also did Spirits of Rancho Buena Vista Adobe, which is a location that my team and I have been researching now since 2011. It's a haunted uh, historic adobe up in the Vista area. So that's available as well. These are all available online, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, in some specialty shops in San Diego. And then I just finished, it's going to be published in, I think, the winter time of 2020, but I just finished a book called The Afterlife Chronicles, exploring the connection between life, death, and beyond. So that will be available as well. That's uh, also by Schiffer Publishing. Let's see, where can you get a hold of me? I'm on Facebook. I have three Facebook accounts. Uh, Facebook.com, Nicole PISD is my, my personal account. I have the author, Nicole Strickland, Facebook account. And then I have our team's Facebook account, which is our acronym, SDPRS. You can find me on Instagram at author Nicole Strickland. You can find me on Twitter at SDPRS Nicole. And then, of course, our website, uh, San Diego Paranormal Research.com authornicolestrickland.com, and then my website about the Queen Mary called spiritedqueenmary.com. So I'm online. You can find me. You are. You 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 shall find. Queen of the uh, social media over there between all those websites. Oh, I don't know about that. I try. Nicole, uh, I wanted to, before I lose track of it, you asked for our opinions on the ghost box apparatus. Yes. Yeah. Like any, like any product, you know, there are a number of them out there. I don't know what the competitive market is like, but there there is a variety. What I what I like to say about the ghost box is it has the potential to be of yeah. great help in ghost research in helping philosophers, philosophers of, of ontology, people who look into the nature of being to make a case for the right. afterlife. Now, there's something that's endlessly speculative, at least so far, and probably will be long after my lifetime. But when I look at ghost boxes particularly, Nicole, I remember a story, and it is just a, a rough approximation because I don't have the material sitting right in front of me, but I'll do my best to recollect. There was a professor, so now we're talking about an academician, And he had an experience with a ghost box by invitation. And they turned it on and they brought through a voice, a woman's voice. Now, what makes this especially intriguing is that this professor was speaking in English, had a bit of an accent. Mm -hmm. And when they turned on the ghost box, a, a female and rather matronly voice came across. Well, to his great surprise, this professor recognized the voice as belonging to his mother. Okay. And, and she yes. spoke in German. And so the people okay. around who didn't speak German didn't quite know what was going on there, but he seemed very moved by this. And when the recording, not the recording, but really the transmission was done, they asked, well, what do you think? And he said he recognized the voice as belonging to his mother. She spoke in right. their native tongue, German. And as I recall, she seemed to be reminding him of an incident that happened when he was five years old. And now I'm going, and he was able to verify that. So I think ghost wow. box. Hmm. 
You know, it's you not know, like the app you get on your phone. It's not a toy. It's something where information right. comes through. I don't know how it's done. I would have no way of knowing. But when you can validate information and the native tongue that you yourself that, speak. Yeah, that is super interesting. And I think that, again, it's, I think it's a, in a, it can be a valuable tool, but it's how it's used because I think it's being exploited now, as are other methodologies. But I think, it, like you said, I think it does have great potential. Now, that's interesting. Maybe she chose to talk to him in, the, in, in his native language, maybe as a, an, an additional way that he could recognize her. Now, I will say, now this happened at the Rancho Buena Vista Adobe, and both um, Ali and I, Ali Schreiber and I, have had experiences with deceased loved ones at that location. I don't know if there's a portal there or what, or, or I don't, I'm not sure. But we've had uh, instances where uh, we will ask questions in English and we will get uh, answers in, in Spanish. Uh, and so that that's happened before, or vice versa. We've asked questions in Spanish, and then we've had interesting answers in English. There was one time, though, we were we had a tour, about ten people on our tour, and we were in the master bedroom doing one of these spirit box sessions, which is a form of instrumental trans communication. And these people are wondering, and I didn't hear this live at all. Sometimes with, with, with ghost boxes, you can readily make out the words live and then other times not hear them at all. But then when you go back and listen, something is super clear then. It's weird how that works. But I was listening back to this one session, like I always do. And about 10 minutes in, I absolutely, without any shred of doubt, recognized my grandfather's voice, my maternal grandfather's voice, and my grandmother's voice so that would have been his wife and both my maternal grandparents and i heard i love you nicole from my grandfather he, his name was andrew f lopinto md he was a, a well-known medical doctor here in san diego and then i heard his wife my my grandmother come through and say go home fulvio now fulvio f-u-l-v-i-o was a nickname that only the immediate family knew. And so when I heard this, I, I mean, I was sitting on the couch doing this. I remember this. When I heard this transmission, if you will, come through, I rapidly took off my headphones, kind of threw them on the next couch, and I just sat there with, like, my jaw wide open with tears coming down my face. Like, it was that profound. So it happens. I think it can be a very valuable tool if it's used correctly. Did you speculate on, on why Fulvio was being told to go home? You know, I have, and I don't know why. Maybe, again, it could maybe have been her way to let me know, you know what, just an, 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 another additional way to, to let me know that it was her, or maybe to let me know that it was also him coming through. I don't know. I don't know, but it's, it's we. you know, my mom and I have discussed them, and we always feel that they're, somewhat together in the afterlife but to hear him say i love you nicole followed by go home fulvio dear is what it said go home fulvio dear whoa i mean and then the vocalizations themselves regardless of what they said i i immediately recognized them as being my grandparents that's incredibly powerful so when yeah. it comes to me spirit boxes ghost boxes I'm in favor of their judicious use, and it is important right. to be 
a healthy-minded skeptic as opposed to being cynical. I don't like debunkers, I don't like cynics, but a healthy-minded skeptic is always welcome, not only on this program, but in normal conversation, because you don't want to just fall for anything that comes down the proverbial pike. Right, exactly. Exactly. I agree with you 100%. I just wanted to make a little bit of a distinction here, because we have talked about ghost research, paranormal research before, I don't want to assume that every single person knows what we're talking about. We might have some new listeners today. And so I wanted to just mention that the uh, spirit boxes or ghost boxes, sometimes called Frank's boxes, uh, Mm -hmm. use like a radio frequency going up and down the dial really fast. And they get voices in real time Whereas when you're talking about EVPs or electronic voice phenomenon, it seems as though when you are making a recording that you don't necessarily hear a voice in real time, you hear it when you play it back again. And so that seems to be the distinction that I make between the ghost boxes and the EVP. Is that, is that fair to say, Nicole? Is that a good Uh, distinction? Yeah, I would say absolutely. I mean, they're all, you know, under the umbrella of an electronic methodology, but yes, uh, ITC instrumental trans communication, that can be real way communication between these devices. It's also occurred on television. People can set up cameras to film the actual static of the television, and there have been spiritual, uh, physical attributes that have come through that, even at the form of ITC. Um, but yes, EVPs, electronic voice phenomena, that's the, I mean, to differentiate the two, yes, you don't hear EVP in, in real time. It's captured on a recording device, and then you hear it later. Now, there is such a, a um, an audio capture that's referred to as um, an, an AVP or an audible voice phenomena. That's similar to like an EVP, but that's like if you if you have a bunch of recording devices on hand and you're recording a session, if you were to ask a question, let's say, is anyone here with us? And people in the room heard a yes to that, and that yes was also captured on a recording device, that would be classified as an AVP or an audible voice phenomenon as opposed to an EVP. So yeah, no, absolutely. You're absolutely correct. There was um, one other thing that I especially wanted to touch on today. We, we, when we have talked to you in the past on air, Nicole, we have talked about the Queen Mary. We've talked about uh, Rancho Buena Vista. But we wanted to talk more in this general umbrella sense of your, your uh, research into the paranormal. And one of the things that I particularly wanted to ask you um, we, we touched on briefly, so in this hour where we just keep circling back to the same things over and over again, um, when we're talking about standards and practices in research, in paranormal research, uh, is there anything that you are aware of that may establish some criteria for what is legitimate as far as research goes? Because the question in my mind, when you say that there are all these groups, is who decides what's real and what isn't real? Who decides what's good research and what isn't good research? Is there any kind of an organization or are these all individual decisions by these individual groups 
as to the ethics involved in their doing research? That is, this is such a, a, a fabulous question. I mean, I wish I had more time to answer it. I, I you know, back, the, the Society for Psychical Research, which I believe was founded, oh my gosh, I forget the year, I want to say it was 1882, that's coming to mind. That was kind of the, the gold standard back then for how, for how paranormal research should be done, should be accomplished. And so I would say that's a really good source to go to nowadays. And it kind of, uh, I guess, modern-day paranormal research has kind of um, bled out of the, that original uh, society and, and getting ideas from it and how it approached its research. But nowadays I am, and this has kind of been one of the things that I've thought about too, there needs to be some sort of main hub, whether it's an, an online website that branches out and does teachings, um, whether it's a, a series of books, whatever it may be, it should maybe be a combination of all of that. There should be a main hub nowadays where all teams, whether they're new or veteran, can go to and, and get information from. There should be one, I mean, I can't say one standard because everyone has his or her own styles for investigating, but in terms of, of ethics, in terms of protocol, in terms um, of the, the main, I guess, foundational ways for, for, for going about paranormal research, there should be one main hub that we can go to that maybe has, um, you know, a president and a series of people that can overlook it and oversee it. I find that a lot of the groups nowadays, it's basically how they want to run it. Some are ethical, some aren't. Um, Some are maybe more scientific-based. Others are more comprised of the psychic mediums and, and those that really mainly adhere to metaphysical practices. I find that in, in paranormal research, I think it's, we should blend the two, but that's a whole other topic. But, uh, I, you know, I wish there was nowadays one main hub that we could go to that has so much information for not just how to form a team and how a team should be run, but talking about all of these necessities, you know, the, the, the ethics involved and and the protocols and the standard operating procedures, I don't necessarily see that. I keep going back to the Society for Psychical Research. There's there's other, uh, the Rhine uh, Research Center is another good one. But, yeah, I mean, your question is so good, and it, it, it's one of those, I think, in order to advance the field and become more collective as opposed to just a bunch of pieces laying out in various you know, pieces and locations, I kind of want our field to become more of like a completed jigsaw puzzle, if you will, instead of having a bunch of pieces scattered around. I think in order to do that, there should be one main foundation. Like, you know, the American Medical Association is to, right. to, to medicine. Yeah. I, I yep. do. I think, and I, and yeah. I think it should be, I mean, there have been in the past, like I said, with the Society for Psychical Research, but there should be a, a, a moderated one now. There should be a, an updated one now for how, for what we're learning now, because paranormal research has progressed a lot since, you know, in the last hundred so years. So, yeah, no, that's a really good point that you bring up. Thank you. Let me throw mm-hmm. this in while we still have time, Nicole. If I'm down in San Diego and environs, I say hotel, you say Dell. You go to Coronado across the bridge. 
I would love to get oh, yes. your take on the Hotel del Coronado with its rich haunted history, which I understand involves some kind of ghost tour that, that operates now. I didn't know about that until recently. What is your experience of that wonderful oh. place? I've actually, now I've never investigated it officially because the hotel does shy away from having paranormal groups in there for obvious reasons. But I've uh, I've stayed there and I've visited there. It's just, you know, I live in Tierra Santa. If those are familiar with San Diego, I live in Tierra Santa. So it's about a 15-minute drive and Coronado is just so beautiful. But it's just such a, the epitome of like Victorian, if you will, architecture. And it does have a lot of history. Uh, just beautiful, 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 beautiful. I, I would consider Coronado Beach probably one of our uh, most pretty, one of the cleaner beaches in San Diego, if you will, but it's it's amazing. Uh, Paranormal-wise there, there is, I guess, one of the, the main local stories, I guess, surrounding the Hotel Dell has to do with a woman by the name of Kate Morgan. So it is said that, uh, well, her, sadly, her body was found on one of the stairs leading down to the beach. And so she, there was a gun present and she had a, a, a bullet wound, I believe, through the head. And so back when they did their uh, examining of the whole situation, they weren't, to this day, it's not really sure whether or not she was murdered or she committed suicide. I think they wanted wanted it to look like she had committed suicide, but she ha was having romantic issues with her partner. And it has been said that maybe he came down and ended up murdering her. But she actually came down uh, some Thanksgiving time from L.A., checked into the Hotel Dell complaining of saying that she had stomach issues. And a lot of people think that's because she was most likely pregnant. She checked in and the people there at the time that we're working at the hotel described her as being very despondent, very kind of forlorn, just not that happy. Uh, but she checked in, stayed there, and then a few days later, her body was found. And so uh, I guess looking into it, it the main, um, I forget the, the, uh, the individual's name, but it was just based on how the gun was positioned. And I something about it oxidization, I think. So if I, because I, I've written about the story, but I'm trying to remember the actual specifics. Something about the gun, they felt that the way it was positioned and how it looked and, and whatnot, that it pointed more to that she was being murdered. So it's a sad, sad, sad story. But uh, she checked in with to the hotel with an alias of, of Kate Morgan, Lottie A. Bernard, I believe was her real name. And uh to this day, people have seen her adorned in a beautiful, you know, Victorian dress, just walking around various areas of the hotel. And I've had some interesting experiences in the hotel as well. I had some friends visit uh, a couple years ago, and I went, I didn't stay with them, but I went to visit them. And in the hallway, uh, I felt or I saw this, like, whitish mist that kind of looked like it was morphing into like a humanoid shape and then I kind of felt just intuitively the presence of a woman was that Kate Morgan I don't know I can't tell you but people have had weird experiences there from like visual sightings to cold spots the room that she uh, stayed in which is now the number has now been changed that particular room people have uh felt someone sit down or lay down on the bed. The TV has turned on and off by itself. 
uh, weird electrical disturbances, that sort of thing. So it's the, the Hotel Dell is so interesting because I think with its history and all of the very famous people that have visited it throughout the years, you know, I think it has more of a paranormal story to it than just the Kate Morgan story. But it's, again, it's just closed off to, to paranormal research. And they have their reasons, I'm sure. Right, what a lovely course, place. Yes. Our, our listeners need to know that Nicole Strickland had absolutely no idea that I was going to ask her about the Hotel Del Coronado. That You talk about having information and insight at your fingertips. Well, there's a great yeah, example like, of it right yeah. there. <laughs> there's specifics. I actually write about the Hotel Del in my book, San Diego's Most Haunted. So I'm sure I left out a lot of important information, but that's kind of the gist of the Cape Morgan story. I did want to ask you in our last minute here, Nicole, now you have a book coming up. We're just going to tease it in the most general way because it, it isn't promotion time yet. When it is, we're going to have you back for a full hour interview in regards. Oh, thank the, you. The Afterlife Chronicles, is that the official title, a working title? That's the official title. Yeah, yeah I, I had a hard time titling it, but I did come up with the Afterlife Chronicles. Now, when you say chronicles, in essence, in, you know, in about 50 to 60 words, how would you describe it in a blurb? It, uh, basically what I'm doing with that book is, is describing ways that the afterlife and the living realms are interconnected with one another. So kind of showing the parallel relationship between the two worlds. So I, I address that. things like, yeah, near-death experiences, uh, spirit guides, uh, the soul survival of death, and I feature a lot of different, not a lot of my own experiences, but I've interviewed a lot of people, too, and they've shared some of their profound encounters with the afterlife. So that's well, kind of sign us up. Yep. Yeah. My goodness. I'm I mean, excited. we will do it. Oh, as well, you should be. I'm excited just hearing about it. When you come back next time, Nicole, we will do a full hour on that. I can't wait. It's always a pleasure to have you with us. You know that. Oh, thank you. Likewise. I just adore the two of you. and You do such a great job with the show. So thank you so much. It's always an honor to be on. Thank you. Stay tuned. Coming up is the Christine Upchurch show, followed by the Susan Harmon Experience and American Road Trip Talk with host Gary Mance. Pack up the SUV. Today we drive to Tulsa, Oklahoma. And stay tuned to 1150 AM whenever you can. This is the good stuff, everybody. Have a great weekend. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.